welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's January 29th, 2020. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. On today's show, I'm going to share with you an interview that I had recently with Dr. Randy Stinson, who is the Provost and Vice President for Academic Administration at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Randy's joined us before as part of our Rooted in Love conference, which we hold quarterly for prospective adoptive families. Um, This is one of the ways that we seek to uh, fulfill our mission to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphan and vulnerable children. We do that in a variety of ways, including um, through pregnancy counseling ministry and counseling with women who are in unexpected pregnancies to choose life and to to make the best choice possible for their child. Everyday Lifeline's pregnancy counselors talk with women who have both physical and spiritual needs. Many of them struggle to meet those needs. We recognize that we're called to minister to the whole person, and when we care for and meet physical needs, the Lord gives us opportunities to share the gospel. In light of this truth, we have established The Well, a new fund at Lifeline to help meet physical needs of women in unexpected pregnancies. You can find out more information about The Well and donate at lifelinechild.org backslash The Well. So as we turn our attention to our interview, uh, we were really blessed recently to have Dr. Stinson to come and be with us. He is an adoptive father. Um, he's been married to his wife, Dana, since 1991. They have eight children, Gunner, Georgia, Fisher, Eden, Peyton, Spencer, Willa, and Brewer. Um, Dr. Stinson is incredibly accomplished uh, and, and is well-recognized on the subject of biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, speaks on the subjects of parenting, marriage, and men's leadership in many places. He is a senior fellow of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and a research fellow for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. But more than that, he has become a great friend to Lifeline and a great friend to us. And so we are really pleased to share uh, the substance of an interview that he and I did in front of a live audience uh, at our Rooted in Love conference recently. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview. So um, I'm really interested in the answer um, to this question. So somebody somebody asked, when a, we're adopting internationally, um, people, and they put in parentheses, in simple ignorance, occasionally question why adopt internationally when there's so many children here with needs. How would you best respond to this question with grace? Okay, here's the non-graceful answer. Mind your own business. <laughs> that's the, that's the non-graceful answer. Yeah. Look, there are needs everywhere. Right. I, I would argue <clears throat> that the needs are greater in some ways internationally because of how complicated it is. Um, and, you know, certain countries uh, are embarrassed that they have kids that Americans are adopting, and so they, they tend to be more stringent about... so. Our first adoption, the, our last three just kind of came to us, right? Mm-hmm. Our first one was we were proactive, picked a country and all sorts of things, but we decided we were going to adopt uh, girls at, because at the time they were less likely to be adopted. And <clears throat> in, in the countries we kept hitting, they were 
those countries were less likely to adopt their own children. Right. And so it, you don't have to make the decision that way. And again, you don't owe people an explanation. Uh, if, if, uh, if you believe God's given you a burden for a particular country and a particular place in the world, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's not a wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not a wrong thing. Uh, but <clears throat> the gracious answer is we believe that needs are great everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we've decided that this particular need fit with our burdens uh, in our home. And, and then you can still say mind your own business when you're done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, th- and it was the gracious part that I, that I struggle with most yeah, of the time, well, just sure. to be honest I with mean, you. It's I, just why are people yeah. worrying about these things? Right. But, yeah, but I know they do. So it was a good question. But and yeah. I think we found ourselves a lot saying as well that, that like we know undoubtedly that our our father has a heart for the nations and and if our if our god is a global god then why would our view of 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 caring for those that he's called us out to care for why would that not be global too and 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 then you know mind your own business well i mean you know (laughs) yeah it uh (laughs) it's really probably just a, a united states centric worldview right that they just they want you to to uh keep it in house if you will absolutely you know well, and it's sometimes a good way to deal with with an uncomfortable reality by shifting the focus mm-hmm. and shifting the thought. So, um, how do you find the balance between not ignoring your child's adoption story but not overly accentuating it? Yeah, I, that's a that's a hard one to answer uh, because there's no formula. <clears throat> um, we just have erred on the opposite side. So I, I, when I say balance, I'm going to go, you know, 70-30 sure. kind of a thing sure, where, sure. you know, maybe there's a 30% interest in, because a lot of times the kids want to talk about where they came from or tell me that story again. So, I mean, we're not going to say we're not talking about right. that. Uh, and at different points in their life, believe me, uh, you know, when they're eight, they don't care a world about it. Some kids, some kids are talking about it a lot at eight, but when they hit teenage years and they start to process, wait a minute, wait a minute, somebody didn't want me twice? You know, I mean, it just, mm-hmm. just uh, <clears throat> so that part of it, you talk about it as much as you think as a parent you need to right. in terms of helping them work through exactly. whatever the crisis might be, whatever they, I just mean on the other end, just constantly just talking about it, you know, um, you know, because you're, you're overly excited about the fact that you've adopted. So let those things go to the wayside. Let it come up as needed. Uh, those are the most important times. And then the rest of the time, you're, you're, one, of the ki- you're one of the kids. Right. You're one of the kids. And uh, we go to the same places. We eat the same stuff. Uh, we, we uh, you know, we're, the discipline, I'm sure somebody's going to ask that, but, you know, kind of generally experience similar discipline uh it's all we're all in the soup right the stinson soup right so no and i and i think you know we we talked about this yesterday with our domestic families a little bit that your kids are going to give you the cues for those things if if you're really listening and you're really paying attention um when when they you know when they want to know when they're struggling when they're processing something you're going to see that bubble to the surface and 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 those are great opportunities then to be able to you know, engage their right. story and reinforce those things and talk about God's providential hand mm-hmm. in, you know, in their, in their coming into our family. But, um, but, but just being natural mm-hmm. in those things. Okay. So you, you cracked the lid off of <laughs> the it. discipline question. So, so let's, let's go there. Like okay. what, what, 
kind of give us your thoughts on, on discipline and how that relates to adoption. Okay, so before I say this, I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist. Um, you know, and every kid, every kid is different. Every kid's background is different. So it's, it's hard for me to speak. I, I don't want to be dogmatic in what I'm about to say. I just want to say in generalities. I'll just say for us at first what we've experienced. <clears throat> Our experience has been that within reason, we have generally introduced various disciplinary strategies with our adopted children sooner rather than later. Part of the reasons are it, it is in Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, it's, it's an indicator that they're, they're in the family. It, it's an indicator whether or not you and I are in God's family with regard to discipline is that God disciplines his children. Um, <clears throat> so I don't want to read too much into that in the terms of adoption, except to say it is one of the primary indicators to everyone in the family that we're, they're one of us, we're all, we're together here. So, you know, the, the existing children that are already in the home aren't viewing these kids as different. These kids aren't constantly feeling like they're outsiders because they're being treated very much the same as everybody that was already here when they got there. Um, <clears throat> now, with, with kids that have come from very uh, severe abuse backgrounds and neglect, uh, the, the easing into various disciplinary strategies could, could, is going to vary, uh, you know. So I would not tell what any of my children that if they were sexually abused, I'm not going to not hug them. I'm just going to help them slowly and ease, ease into what normal Christian affection should look like as opposed to abusive types of relationships that they've been in. And that would be true in terms of discipline. Uh, just slowly ease them into a world where uh, discipline does not have to be abusive. It can be, and is supposed to be, a loving act. But I don't pretend to know how, you know, the, 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 the process. You're gonna have to get other people involved that know you that are able to spend some time with the with the child to help put a put a strategy into place but i do think there's and and i and i appreciate the way that you approach that because i do think there are like there are theological implications there are theological thoughts about how how and why we do discipline and 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 the fact is that we you know, our goal is we want we want children that are going to follow Jesus, right? right. And, and and they're going to you know that our kids are going to going to live in a way that is ultimately disciplined, and we're we're doing for them and 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 setting conditions for them that are leading them in that, in that direction, um, and and every child, biological or adopted, is a little bit different in that as well, in in you know what they respond to it and what they need. Um, and you know, would there would there be anything just kind of in following up? Would there be anything that you guys learned along the way? Did you see any co you know common patterns from your kids about because of their story, because of their background, things that you noticed that they needed, or things that you you know noticed were were helpful in the process? Yeah. So <clears throat> I do want to say the way that we approached it, it was successful at least in our eyes mm -hmm. in terms of how the yeah. kids responded to it and how. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I do want to say is it, it, a lot of parents tend to over-sentimentalize 
you know, the child being in an or so he bites somebody in the nursery and parents will say, oh, well, that's because he was, that's how he had to learn how to survive in the orphanage. Well, probably so, but he's got to quit biting people in the nursery. Uh, you know, hoarding food uh, under their uh, bedspread. Uh, well, okay, he, you know, he was doing that because, you know, he had to survive in the orphanage. Well, yeah, I'm sure he did, but he can't keep sticking ham sandwiches under his bedspread. Uh, he, you know, he's got to learn we're going to provide food for him. And so um, it, it's, it don't, don't let, don't get over sentimental about their past and assume that you can't do anything about what they're doing because it's what they had to do in the orphanage or, or to survive in foster system or whatever it was, or to endure a hard past in some other way. You take all those things into consideration in terms of your own level of compassion, but you are also supposed to be moving the ball down the field, moving into something that's a lot more healthy in terms of affection and discipline and, and other things. And so I would say what we learned is um, when we got Willa, <clears throat> she was two and a half, and she had had such a difficult challenge. This mom didn't love her and everything. And, and um, we said we were going to ease into the discipline with her. Well, the first morning, we were, she and I were laughing about it because she's uh, 14 years old. But she punched me right in the face, you know, like, like punch me in the face. I'm like, okay, well, I told my wife, all right, I think our plan to ease into discipline here just went down the drain. So I'm just not fundamentally not going to be punched in the face. But uh, <clears throat> So it's not always that funny and happy, but I'm just saying, uh, it, it, yeah, I, we, we did not regret moving into it sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I immediately thought of the Mike Tyson line. You know, everybody has a plan until you get, get punched. punched in the face. Right. That's right. Yeah, so. That's true. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's a story of my life. <laughs> so, so I want to want to turn maybe because we've talked a lot about parenting and and obviously that's a big part of the equation. But but something that you said earlier about um, that adoption or having children in general doesn't strengthen a marriage, um, but that strong marriages are crucial in adoption. And so, just really practically. Um, Love to hear a little bit about what you and Dana have found to be successful, to be helpful in in maintaining strength in your marriage. Yeah. So <clears throat> one is uh, that fundamentally we agree worldview wise mm -hmm. as as two believers in Christ, two Christians. Uh, fundamentally, that the Bible is the foundation for Christian living and how we're to, to live our lives before God. Um, <clears throat> we we um, have worked really hard over the years uh, to uh, forgive one another and to work at forgiving, asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness. Uh, we got, when two people get married, they double the sin quotient, uh, the sin quotient possibility. Then when they add two kids, they've quadrupled it. When you have eight, I don't even know, a mathematician will have to help me, but it's a bunch <laughs> of uh, opportunities for sin. So, you know, forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian life. Uh, forgiveness should be at the heart of the, of the Christian marriage. And the eagerness to, when one is wronged or one has done the wrong, 
you, you say, I'm sorry I did blank and said blank. Will you forgive me? And the other person should be eager to grant the forgiveness. And so forgiveness uh, in a marriage is incredibly, uh, is central to the marriage. The second thing that has helped us in our marriage is to embrace the fact that the marriage is the primary relationship in your life that God will use to make you more Christ-like. If you start to blame the other person for the guilt you feel and for the things God's doing in your life, don't be shocked if God wants to change you. Don't be shocked if he wants to use your spouse to be one of those instruments. Now, I'm not saying as a spouse you volunteer for that assignment. I'm just saying uh, that's the, 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 the marriage itself is one of the primary things God will use to make you more, <clears throat> more like Christ. And so a lot of couples, especially when they're young, will think all sorts of things about each other that were, when they were dating, they're, they're cute. And then when you get married, they're not so cute. And they become irritants. And one of the things that has helped our marriage, what you can do is say, well, great. I'm stuck with these irritants the rest of this marriage, and I'm just going to have to endure. Or you can say, you know what? God probably wants me to be a little bit more like my spouse mm -hmm. in one way or another. Um, I could have used a lot more kindness in my life. Uh, Dana is a stop and smell the roses. I'm goal-oriented, and it used to drive me crazy that she could wake up and not have a plan. It used to drive her crazy that I could wake up and have everything planned out for the day. You know, we've hit a happy medium, and uh, we were just on vacation uh, a couple of weeks ago for a week, and we did nothing. We did nothing because I've learned to stop and smell the roses. Uh, she's learned to make a list or two. Now, she makes her lists on the back of used envelopes, which I don't understand. <laughs> and she, she did all the paperwork for all, all of our adoptions, and I do not even want to see how that hot dog is made. Uh, it's all legal. It's done. The, the used envelopes are somewhere in a file. Uh, so that's what has helped our marriage greatly. Forgiveness, understanding how God's going to use it, and not resenting the fact that this marriage is going to be the primary instrument that God uses to make you more like Christ. So kind of looping back to the, even the, the question about discipline or things with, with eight kids and all of the activity and all of that, how, how do you guys um, stay on the same page with regard to things like discipline and other issues with your kids? Um, <clears throat> we, we'll, we stay generally on the same page. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I'll, I'll ask one of the kids, has your mother... Uh, have you retained your mother as legal counsel? Because uh, like, Dana's in there like, you know, oh, I don't think you ought to do that. And I'm like, what, what in the world? Are somebody paying you to represent them in this family? Um, so we generally agree, but um, it's just, it's worth, it. you, you got to have two people making these decisions, yeah. right? Uh, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't, talk a whole lot about general parenting, it's mothers and fathers, mm -hmm. and they bring two different uh, things to the table. And sometimes they're bringing, you know, it's not stereotypical that men are bringing this and women are bringing right. that. It, it could all be based on how you grew up and other Absolutely. things, but when you have two people that can put their heads together, uh, I don't always agree. Sometimes I'll say, man, you're being, too, you're being too easy on them. And sometimes she'll say, well, you're being too hard on them. And we'll come to figure out some middle, middle ground. Uh, 
but we've learned to trust each other over the years and I, I've learned to have, I think we both have learned to have enormous respect for each other's viewpoint with regard to it and just keep working at it to, to come to some arrangement. But also, do not be embarrassed, do not be afraid, do not, uh, it, it's good and right to get somebody else involved. Mm. Uh, and that's, I didn't say counseling, uh, although that may be what some people call it, but I just call it getting somebody else involved, uh, somebody that has more wisdom, somebody that has been through it. Do not. If, if the, the three adoptions we have that were disrupted were, were couples who were afraid. They were having challenges with, with whatever was going on in the home, and they were afraid to go tell somebody, and they just let it get worse and worse and worse and worse. There are things out there you don't know anything about and that you're not good at. That's true for me. That's true for all of us. <clears throat> so don't be afraid to just get somebody involved that will help you navigate e anything, really. But. Man, there is so much in that answer that I'm going to tell you. When, when this is released and it's out there on the podcast, go back and listen. Um, because I think that idea of mutual respect and that idea of giving each other the benefit of the doubt and communication is so crucial because of, you know, because of the, the challenges that we face at times. And um, so, so absolutely, I, I, I think, um, you know, also, and, and we, we quite frankly see this a lot, that, um, that, that families that have stepped into adoption and, and that, that believe that and know that they're following a calling from God to, to step into adoption, many times are reluctant to be transparent and share their, their struggles because there's an element of, are, are, we, are we letting God down mm -hmm. as, as we confess to the fact that there are things that are, that are happening with, within our home that we need help with or that we need to share with someone else or to carry that burden. And I, I just appreciate you saying that mm -hmm. because, because there is, we have learned over, over the years that that's crucial that there are points where we, we need to um, have someone else help us in bearing our burdens and, yeah. and those things. And, and the fact is that, um, that God gets his glory in those situations as well through the, the aid of those friends and through the community that comes around. And, and it's not disappointing when we can't handle those things. Yeah, and I'm not saying don't go to people that haven't adopted as if they don't have any wisdom, but don't put all your eggs in that basket either because it's easy for people that haven't adopted to say, oh, why don't you just do this? Okay, well, that, uh, you know, that might not work. Uh, you don't know what we're dealing with here. And uh, so they'll mean well, but find people that are a little further down the road than you are uh, that, that, that have maybe gone through some challenges through adoption. Uh, those are going to be the most helpful people. Okay, I can't wait for this one. Can you talk about the importance of parents showing healthy affection in front of their children? Maybe a quick story about that. Yeah, so one of the things Dana and I have said over the years, <clears throat> one of the ways that you can help a child uh, adapt or even uh, uh, assimilate, how, how does a child determine whether or not things are okay in the world? They're not reading the Wall Street Journal. They're not looking at the stock market. They're, they're, they determine, a child determines in their own soul without understanding why they're doing it, they determine whether or not things are okay in the world by how they think their parents are doing. That's just a fundamental truth. It's not in the Bible. There's no verse in the Bible that says it, but I'm just telling you, 
It is a fundamental truth. A five-year-old does not know how to express. So the kids that wait, you know, they're good for three weeks, and then the one day they just wake up and decide they're going to start World War III. Well, we've learned to ask the question, have they seen us show affection toward one another, have positive interactions with one another, or did I get up so early this morning, they were still in bed, and I got home late tonight, and they were still in bed. Dana and I are fine, but the kids just didn't get to see it. And so <clears throat> we have made it a point showing affection in front of our children. So when our kids were little, I would come home from work and they'd all come running out, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I would, every day, the same thing. I would say, get out of the way. I don't, don't touch me, move out, get out of the way. Where's your mother? Because I would make it a point to kiss and hug their mother before anybody else. Number one, it just sent a small message. She's more important than all of you, which is important for them to know. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, it just showed my desire and they love it. You know, why, why, why else would they subject themselves to that kind of rejection every single day? Right. The same thing would happen every day. Get out of my way. Don't touch me. Move out of the way. You know better than this. Get out of here. And they loved, they wanted me to do it. Even, even uh, I mean, so I'd kiss Dana in front, you know, and, you know, Spencer, when he first got on, do it again, Dad, do it again. Well, okay, I don't need any instruction from a seven-year-old. How do, you, how do you think your older siblings got here in the first place? I know what I'm doing. But even the teenagers, teenagers will say, oh, get a room, get a room. They pretend like they don't like it, but I promise you, it brings comfort to their soul. It makes them feel like things are okay in the world. And so affection is important just to, to, to keep the relationship alive, but it also is incredibly meaningful to demonstrate to your children that things are okay. When things seem okay to them between the two of you, that will, the world will seem okay to them. You always have, have to keep that in mind. We, we go to great lengths even now just to make sure that the kids see us hug, kiss, sit on the couch together uh, just regularly because it's one of the main indicators for them that yeah, things are okay there, then things are okay. Even though their life may have some challenges to it and all that, it's the, it's the anchor. That's why I would encourage all of you, never, never, make your kids think that they are more important than your marriage. In fact, go overboard to make sure and demonstrate to them that marriage is more important than them. Parents who dote over their children to the neglect of their marriage not only harm their marriage, but they send the wrong message to their children. Nobody was made to believe, was, was created, in order to eventually believe they were more, more, the most important thing on the planet. So, don't do that to your children. Don't do that to your marriage. Prove to them and keep telling. I tell the kids all the time, uh, I love your mother way more than y'all. Uh, when we go out to dinner, I'll say, we're going out. Where are we going? Oh, no, not we, we, just me and your mother. We're going out. <laughs> and we're going to have fun. You know why? Why? Because y'all aren't coming. <laughs> now, they do not run upstairs or run to their bedrooms and go curl up in the fetal position. They love it. Because I tell them, we had fun before you got here. We're going to have fun while you're here because we're planning on having fun after you're gone, which needs to be sooner rather than later. <laughs> they love it. It, it. it brings comfort to their soul, even the older ones. That's awesome. 
we could literally sit here and do this the rest of the day. Um, but uh, you have a plane to catch, and we have a conference to continue with. And uh, and so, uh, would you guys uh, just join me in thanking Dr. Stinson for being with us and for this time? My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. <music>